Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of TBD with Dan and Bill. Greetings from the front line. We've got a, a an interesting story on tap for you today by Philip K. Dick, one of our grandmasters of early sci-fi who continues to be incredibly influential in the modern sci-fi market, and especially in films, of course, these days. The story is called War Veteran, and it's a it's a short story, but it's a very long short story. It might even border on being a novella. Yeah, it feels long for a short story. What's going on in this story? So without jumping ahead too far in the story, essentially the backdrop for this is we've got a war brewing between Earth, Venus, and Mars. Now, of course, this is 1955. You know, we all still think that Venus is habitable. We think Mars is habitable. We probably got the swamps of Venus and the sands of Mars somewhere. But anyway, Earth is at the brink of war with these two other planets. And in the background, we've got things that listeners are probably familiar with. We've got shadowy billionaire financiers pulling the strings, whipping the population up into a frenzy. We've got war demonstrations going on. And amongst all this chaos, the, the opening scene of the story is we, are, we see an old man sitting on a park bench. So this old guy is hanging out. He's been into this hospital that's, that's bordering on the park. And he's sitting on a bench. He's all scarred up, all torn up. He's telling stories to anybody who will listen. Basically, nobody wants to listen. Probably like we're going to turn out one of these days, just sitting on a park bench somewhere, and no one's going to listen to us. <laughs> I used to run a podcast. <laughs> yeah, you and about five billion other people. Well, the old man sees some soldiers hanging around, checking out the sunbathers, and he thinks, finally, some people who might listen to me, some people who might understand just exactly what I've been through. And he begins regaling them with battle tales. And everybody assumes that those engagements happened in the dim and distant past, like before they were born. Yep. And of course, the soldiers have better things to do than listen to this old man spout about the past. Like, like you said, they're interested in checking out the girls in the park. And we move along in pretty short order to a little bit more of the rioting and the demonstrations that are going on. And that's where we meet some of the first characters besides the old man. So I was going to say, this is a good place to pause on the plot devices and, and talk about the some of the characters. So the, the old man, it turns out, is David Unger. And we do learn through his dialogue that he is a war veteran. The soldiers, they are just soldiers. They don't figure in any time later in the story. So it's the other characters, some, some doctors and some people who are representative of some sort of a console or, or like uh, embassy kind of thing from, from Venus and Mars. We'll explain that as we go. So why don't you give us a rundown of those characters, Dan? Yeah, the, the main characters besides David Unger, you've got a guy by the name of Vashil Patterson. He's a cancer specialist. Edwin Lamar, who's a neurologist. Evelyn Cutter, who does files and records at the hospital. Uh, and a guy by the name of John V. Stevens, who apparently everybody who is from Venus gets the letter V stuck in front of their last name, so you know who they are. He's a So he is from Venus, and he is a surgeon who's got some augmentation. He's got this little mechanical hand that apparently is capable of helping him do microsurgery. Those are the four main characters. Uh, there's a few other ones we'll get to. One of them is Francis Gannett. He's the you know, multi-billionaire rich guy behind uh, everything and pulling the strings. You've got uh, V. Raffia, who's a, a Venusian girl who you know, randomly, I guess, shows up on Earth. 
and another military person by the name of Nathan West. So that's pretty much everybody. And so we'll start with, uh, with how these characters start interacting with each other. Patterson, Lamar, Cutter, and V. Stevens are all riding in a vehicle together on their way to the hospital. They're heading into work. And as they are making their way there, they come across... Basically, it's a demonstration that evolves into something more violent than that, essentially into a small riot. And in their conversation that they have in the car, it's introduced that this is a, a relatively common thing now, and it's or it's an increasingly common thing, where because of the unrest between the planets, we've got a number of, of things like this that are happening specifically on Earth. And as they're trying to maneuver... Well, there's, they're waiting for everything to clear up because they tend not to last very long, as they as they explain. When the, the demonstration turns violent, they break into an agency called the Color Ad, which... Which isn't really well explained, but it appears to be some kind of combination of embassy slash travel agency slash promotional agency. It's something to do with maintaining good relations between all the planets. They've got posters showing how great life is on Mars and Venus, and it's apparently some kind of store where all the expatriates can go and get their you know, favorite souvenirs or trinkets from home. Uh, it just seems to be like kind of all things to all people. It's Like I said, it's not really explained what it is, but it's... It represents the Venusian and Martian presence on Earth, which is why the rioters immediately decided to go torch it. That's exactly it. Because it is a representation of Venus and Mars, it becomes the target of, of violence. And they break in and they loot it, they burn it to the ground. And during the process of all of this happening, this is where we meet V. Raffia, who is, she begins out on the street and she's just sort of wandering along. Yeah, the crowd turns on her because she's a Venusian, or as they call them, web feet. Of course, this is the future, and we've still managed to think of good racial slurs for everybody who's not a native Earthman. That's Apparently, right. Apparently, some things never go out of style, no matter how much you might like them to. And she stands out a little bit because her the, the Venusian skin carries a green pigmentation of some sort. She attempts to run away. The mob is chasing her. The whichever one of them is driving the car, I don't remember offhand, begins like driving through the crowd and attempting to clear a pathway so that they can rescue this young Venusian woman, which they indeed do. And then they take off and escape from the riot. And then they all drive from there to the hospital. As they're driving, they're, they're telling a lot or they're talking a lot to each other about the war and the reasons behind it and how this Francis Gannett guy is, is basically funding all of it and trying to sway public opinion because he owns some huge company that controls the import-export trade, and and if the, the other planets can get independence, it's going to cut into his profit, and so he wants this little war to make sure that his profits aren't threatened, and he gets to sit back and keep raking it in. And he has high-ranking military advisors that wander around with him or that he has immediate access to, so imagine somebody like Elon Musk or Bill Gates or somebody like Jeff Bezos. Yeah, Bezos having having the ability to basically say, "Hey, we need to go invade this country over here and you're going to help me do it." Well, you're assuming they don't have that ability now, Bill. <laughs> this is true. It is yet to be tested as far as we know. Right. So as they have this conversation about kind of the state of the world and and how things are going, 
during their trip to the hospital, one of them, I forget who has the little, has this little cylinder and he's like, well, just to take your mind off what's going on here, have a look at this weird thing that kind of came across our desk. And it turns out to be basically the, the biographical information about this David Unger guy. And they're like, well, take a look at this because there's something weird going on with this guy. Things are, are not exactly as they appear to be, or at least it's, it, there's some scenes that unfold here that really change the direction of the story. Well, basically what happens is in the next scene, it, it shows the old man, he's got something around his wrist. It's like some, some kind of medical bracelet, which tells him it's time to go see the doctor. And it, it chimes, wakes him up. He's an ornery old guy. He's like going, I got to go to the doctor and, you know, kind of shuffles over to the clinic, yelling at people along the way, getting in trouble with the police, all of which is kind of irrelevant. But he gets to the hospital and goes to see Dr. Patterson and I believe Cutter. They start asking him some questions like, you know, when were you born? Uh, where were you stationed? All these other things. And he starts giving him all these dates and, and all this background about things that have happened in his world in the past, but in their world have not happened at all. And he starts describing this war he's been in between Earth and Venus and Mars and how essentially the Venusians and the Martians kicked Earth's butt essentially roasted the earth to a cinder and what's left of earth people are just kind of hanging out on these little artificial habitats like way out at the end of the solar system and in fact that's where the guy thinks he is and as he's talking uh, cutter and patterson are just listening going holy crap what's going on here and one of the interesting tie-ins that happens is as he's telling these stories he is explaining how he was in the, uh, the the space naval armada that was run by Nathan West, a, a ship called the, was it the Windjammer? Wind or the, Giant. The Wind Giant, that's it, not the Windjammer. That's the Hawaii version of the, mil- yeah. <laughs> that's right, New Maui. Uh, but this Nathan West is, is at the moment... Um, he's a he's a, a younger rising star within the military, so they you know none of this stuff has happened yet, but it's all things that you know looking back on his stellar career as the leader of the Earth forces, and each time there is a, a milestone event in the war, a major victory for the Venusians and the Martians. West is the one who's organizing the the Earth forces, being defeated, being overwhelmed, and David Unger is one of the people who is escaping somehow from each of these debacles. And so he watches the Earth basically get destroyed. He sees other other smaller outposts destroyed, and he just keeps fleeing further and further into the fringe. So Cutter and Patterson are listening to this story, and they're like, "Holy crap, we got to call the military!" And so they place a call into to Luna headquarters, which is apparently where in this world the military is headquartered. Why? We don't know, but it doesn't really matter. And they're essentially alerting the military to the fact that, hey, there's this guy here who claims he's been in a war that hasn't happened yet, and you guys might want to talk to him. So they call in the military, but before they can get there, more mayhem ensues. The interview continues with our, with our main medical personnel here, including some of the Venusians. And they start to figure out, well, or, or Unger explains to them how the Venusians were on the brink of total destruction of the Earth forces when he was cast back in time. Not that he knows he's been cast back in time. And it triggers some interesting stuff happening here in the room. 
You've got V. Stevens, of course, who's Venusian. You've got V. Raffia, who was the girl they picked up from the street. And they were like, hey, this guy's telling us we're going to win the war. We better go back and tell our government right away because they're like, it's a done deal. The future's already set. We can't lose. Of course, Patterson doesn't particularly like this to start out with. And V. Raffia attempts to kill him. And they, while they're trying to, to escape, the military shows up. Gannett kills V. Raffia. You know, stops V. Stevens in his tracks, and essentially they they capture V. Stevens and stick him in a, a cell in the psych ward while they figure out what to do. And at this point, then, there's all kinds of information that if it gets out, could alter the state of events, and that that becomes the paramount concern. So if the Venusians are able to communicate back to their home planet, to their to their representatives, that if this war happens, that the Venusians and the Martians are going to win. You know, that's obviously valuable information for the Venusians. It's uh, it's terrible information for the Earth if it gets out. But the, the advantage here is that the Earth tacticians immediately begin to try to figure out, well, what went wrong and what can we do? And so they try to figure out, okay, how, what, what else can we learn from Unger? And what can we do next? Do we go into this war and try to alter the future? Or do we attempt to avoid the war? They've got some type of technology where they can essentially sort of look into Unger's memory and display it on a video screen. And they, you know, they see the Earth ships being destroyed and they see the Earth perishing in a nuclear holocaust. And and they start saying, well, is there anything we can do about this? Patterson, apparently he's in the room and we've got the first hint that Patterson's kind of a pacifist. He doesn't really want war and that he'd prefer to avoid it at all, if at all possible. So they decide as another tactic, they're going to take Nathan West, who, of course, was Unger's commander in the future, and say, hey, why don't you sit down with this Unger guy and see if you can get some more information out of him, you know, maybe find out some additional stuff that might help us out. So the old man basically goes back to the park. Uh, West shows up, kind of sits down, prods him a little bit to, to get some more information about, is there anything Earth could have done differently to win this war or you know, avoid losing it so badly? And there's a little detail that comes out about a, a supply convoy from Venus or from Mars or, well, from their forces that was missed somewhere along the way. And this becomes a key element because now it becomes a fixation for the military people where, oh, hey, here's this thing that if we can figure out what's going on with it, we might be able to alter the course of the war. And in the meantime, they're talking about Unger and they realize since he's got this service ID number that that number hasn't been claimed yet, but it's starting to come up pretty soon. And they're saying, hey, maybe we should be on the lookout for, for this David, the, the present version of David Unger, who's about to register with the service. And then they can have both the, the old David Unger and the present David Unger at the same time. But yeah, like you said, in the meantime, they've got this information about the military convoy and the fact that if they can stop it, Earth's got a chance to win. Now, in the meantime, because there's a lot of stuff going on in this story, V. Stevens, who, as you may recall, was put in the psych ward, he starts to escape and he does it by detaching his little mechanical hand and sending it to, I don't know, I guess pick the lock or something. So he starts to escape. But while he's escaping, Lamar shows up and says, hey, V. Stevens, I'm kind of on your side, and I'm going to try to help you escape the city. And so you can get back to Venus and, and warn them that Earth's about to declare war so you guys aren't caught off guard. 
Yeah, so you've got people working at cross purposes here. You've got people who want to win the war. You've got people who are trying to decide if the war should happen. You've got people trying to avoid the war altogether. You've got people who are sympathetic to the plight of the Venusian and Martian citizenry and the exploitation of their planets and their resources. You've got, well, as many different convolutions and complications and perspectives on a political moment that's a really complex one that we would have around anything today. Which is why the story, it does seem pretty long for a short story, because there's just all these things going on, and they're explaining everybody's position throughout the story and, and how they change. And things happen that you don't expect. For instance, like I just said, you've got Labar trying to help V. Stevens escape, which he said he wants to do, but then for some reason you see that V. Stevens knocks out Lamar, takes the car, and drives back to the hospital. And you're thinking, hey, th I thought this guy was trying to escape. But in the meantime, we find out that the number that they were looking for, this service number that's David Unger's, it gets claimed. And, you know, Patterson and uh, I think it's Evelyn. Evelyn Cutter, yeah. Yeah, Evelyn Cutter. They go to interview the guy and they're like, wait, this isn't David Unger. It's, you know, some other dude named, I don't know, Bert or whatever. I forget what his name is. Not important. But in the meantime, they're, they've taken David Unger and they, they're starting to escort him to another location. V. Stevens comes back and kills Unger because he knows that Unger has the potential to give them information based on this whole convoy discussion that would actually let Earth win the war. And so he needs to kill Unger to make sure that Earth can't get that information. And there's another reason that he needs to kill him as well, because as Unger is being interviewed, he begins to fail, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, he's he's 89 years old and not in the best of condition to start with, right? He, he seems kind of senile and kind of with it, kind of out of it. So he's he's kind of set up as this sort of almost senile old man who's just telling crazy stories about his, his history. But as it turns out, that's not all there is to it. As his health begins to fail, we learn that it is also just part of his his whole body is is about to become, well, it's about to come apart. And, and that's where we learn more through Stevens' attempts to come back and take him out. Yeah, you got V. Stevens comes back, essentially burns Unger to a crisp and, and takes off again. Eventually, the, the orderlies or the attendants or someone comes to clean up the mess and Patterson says, hey, take this over to my lab. I want to get a better look at it. And him and his lab assistant start doing some analysis and they realize, wait, this Unger guy, he wasn't even human. What? It was like some kind of synthetic material he was made out of. And now the interesting thing is, is Patterson, once they find this out, he looks at his lab assistant and says, does anybody know about this besides you and me? Lab assistant says, nope. And Patterson tells him to keep it quiet. And they essentially keep this little fact a secret. This is an interesting point in the story because we're fairly deep into it at this, at this point in the story. But this is when we as readers are looking back and going, oh, hey, this is, there's a lot of events now that are they're sh turning out to not be exactly what we thought they were going to be. And up until now, it has felt relatively straightforward from a reader's perspective. And now we begin to question what, what's going on? What are the, what are the real complications that are driving the story? What kind of plot lines have we not been able to see that are going to start to be revealed? Yeah, I mean, at this point in time of the story, you've got 
you know, the military who's been thwarted in their efforts to find out the, the secret that would allow Earth to win the war. So they're kind of back on the, oh, crap, now what do we do? You know, the Venusians and Martians, in theory, don't know anything because none of the information has gotten out to them. We've got all the characters in various states of, you know, basically either pro-war or anti-war. And now you've got this idea that the whole thing might be some kind of a some kind of a red herring to start with. And the question is whether or not we've got a whole can of red herrings. Precisely. So then apparently after V. Stevens kills Unger or the, the mechanical or biomechanical being who was David Unger, he goes back to the car where, if you remember, he left he knocked out Lamar, who was trying to help him escape. They wake or Lamar wakes up and says, "Hey, what's been going on? I've been out for like five hours, and I'm trying to help you." And I guess at, at this point in time, V. Stevens, I guess he has the need to tell people what's going on, or at least Philip K. Dick has the <laughs> has the idea he needs to tell people what's going on, and he's going to use V. Stevens to do it. So basically, Stevens and Lamar are in the car, and Lamar's like, "Hey, let's we got to drive back to the hospital." And v. Stevens says, "All right, well, you know, I, I just came from there." And apparently, also in the meantime, V. Stevens says, "You know, turned himself non-green in order to pass for an Earthman," because there's this little scene where Lamar looks at him and says, "Hey, what what's going on? You're 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 an Earthman. You're not even a Venusian." And Stevens is like, you really think that we wouldn't have any ability to turn our skin white, you know, to blend in on Earth? What kind of idiots do we think we are? And and you do get the idea at that point in time that the Venusians have a some kind of grasp of of biomechanics or biology that's beyond what Earth knows about, which is kind of critical toward the end of the story, because the big reveal, as we like to say it, comes right after this, when Lamar and Stevens go back to the hospital and they they call Patterson, pick him up in the car, and essentially at this point in time, V. Stevens spills his guts about what the entire plot line is. So as we look at that, the big reveal, this is where I'm actually going to turn to the text because we haven't done so yet, and, and you know, Philip K. Dick says it better than we will. So this is V. Stevens talking. He says, Color Ad engineered the synthetic. We don't know any more about the... The synthetic being David Unger. Yes, there you go. The synthetic being the the android that they planted that's the old war veteran. We don't know any more about the future than you do, which is absolutely nothing. There never was a David Unger. We forged the ID papers, built up a whole false personality, history of a non-existent war, everything. And Lamar asks why. Well, to scare Gannett into calling off the dogs, to terrify him into letting Venus and Mars become independent to keep him away from fanning up a war to preserve his economic stranglehold. The fake history we constructed in Unger's mind was Gannett's nine-world empire broken and destroyed. Gannett's a realist. He'd take a risk when he had odds, but our history put the odds 100% against him. So Gannett pulls out, Patterson said slowly. And you? We were always out, V. Stevens said quietly. We were never in this war game. All we want is our freedom and independence. I don't know what the war w- would really be like, but I can guess. Not very pleasant. Not worth it for either of us. And as things were going, war was in the cards. Exactly. And then the story goes on to wrap up a, cother, uh, a few other loose ends, like 
you know, who Virapia was, who turns out she was kind of one of these agents. As it turns out, everybody from Venus and Mars who goes to Earth is an agent of this color ad, you know, corporation, business, whatever it is. And and they, they you know, kind of talks about how they how and why they had to kill Unger to make sure the the body wouldn't be looked at too closely. And they're like, well, you know, we, we kind of screwed up. We David Unger's name came up faster than we thought it would, and we weren't ready for that. But we've planted a real David Unger on Earth now, so if anyone tries to go back and check, there is one now. They're tying up some loose ends. But essentially, you know, they, they, they as Bill just said, the whole reason for doing this was to prevent this war that nobody really wanted except for Gannett. For a story that was published in 1955, prior to the wars that would be most meaningful to people of our age or younger, you know, talking about things like Vietnam and, of course, more recently Afghanistan and, and, and so on, this kind of a plot scenario would stand up today as plausible, as interesting, and I, I imagine that if you built a film around this story it would be successful. People would get it. People would be engaged. And all of the plot twists, all of the politics, all of the buildup in terms of economics and military and, um, and, and racial politics and everything else, all of those things would feel just right in line with the kind of stuff that's going on in this story. Absolutely. You, know, you talk about, at the beginning of the story, the, the reasons for the war, how they whipped the, the the population into frenzy using disinformation, the war and tribalism, you know, the themes of nationalism, trying to get people to, to sign up for this war. That's, that's, you know, apparently completely unjustified except for what, what Gannett wants to do. And in fact, there's a, there's a quote from the very beginning of the story when they're in the uh, demonstration where they're talking about all of the demonstrators. And one of them says, I think it's Lamar says, they're crazy. All those morons chanting and marching. They're not morons, Patterned, Patterson answered mildly. They're just too trusting. They believe what they're told like the rest of us. The only trouble is what they're told isn't true. And if you think about modern disinformation campaigns and you think about all the stuff we deal with nowadays with, you know, quote unquote, fake news and all the different people trying to influence us into thinking and believing you know, whatever points of view are being sold to us, this this falls right in line with what we see in modern society. And so you see people in, well, whether it's the propaganda or where, the, the source of the propaganda is, is, is not necessarily clear here, but whether it's the government or ad agencies or, or Gannett himself and the, and the people who work for him. It, it does sound like it's Gannett because they mentioned somewhere in the story about how he's financing a lot of these demonstrations and like some of his hand-picked people are sort of leading the groups into into doing these these group demonstrations and so on. It would never fly today, right, to have some sort of multi-billionaire mogul that is secretly financing political unrest. That could never happen. No, that would never happen. But the but he's fueling all of this with uh, with presumably advertising and stories of, of different kinds that are coming out that are de- that are deliberately designed to create a, a gulf or a distance between the humans and the Venusians and the Martians. So yeah, you were making reference before to there being 
derogatory terminology, racial slurs that are being used. Um, and, you know, these are the people who are going to destroy our way of life. You know, if, if we let them have their way, then your well-being is going to suffer. I mean, this this whole... Yeah, Earth first, you know, down with the Venusians, down with the Martians, you know, fear them, distrust them, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. And so all of that kind of buildup, why is it really going on? Well, it's it's revealed here pretty quickly in, when we when we start learning about the political unrest, that, it, that it's primarily economic needs or economic motives that are being served. So it's the it's the capitalists pulling the strings of government who are pulling the strings of the military who are ready to go to war to protect the financial and commercial interests of a select few and well a select one in this case. Yeah, and I'm kind of like you said that this this story as far as we know or as far as I know has never been you know, turned into some type of film or television production. But like you said, it, it could easily be done. And you know, so many of Philip K. Dick's stuff has been turned into films. I think there's like about 10 or 11 of his novels and short stories by now that, that have actually been put on the screen in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, you know, the short list includes things like uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which became Blade Runner, and then things like Imposter and Minority Report, most recently The Man in the High Castle. But it turns out between the various media outlets over the years, there's a whole bunch of his things, short stories and novels, that have been turned into either episodes or, or standalone films. I mean, he was incredibly prolific as a writer. I, I don't know how many novellas and novels and short stories he wrote, but like you said, Bill, there's a there's a ton of them that have already been turned into into different media. And he was active for quite a while, and it turns out he was just brilliantly creative when it came to imagining all of these these different possibilities and and the implications of different kinds of technologies. And I think for me, some of the stuff that, that probably is the most poignant and the and the stuff that really is the most challenging are the are the times when he's dealing with artificial life. So specifically androids like Unger, um, I remember finding a reference that this is one of the stories that predated him writing Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And that in some ways the... And the replicants? the What's that? The replicants? Yeah, yeah. So the, that Unger is in some ways like a precursor in Dick's mind to the the characters that become the replicants. So, not I mean, I think we talked about this story, you know, still would hold up really well as a modern science fiction story. All that being said, there's there's a few things in here that, you know, will date the story for the reader. Probably the, the, the most prominent is one you've already mentioned, Dan, where prior to a certain point in our history of science fiction, Mars and Venus and any other nearby planet that we might consider habitable, well, we, before we ever had the opportunity to go there or to even, you know, get a closer look through telescopic technologies of what the surfaces might look for or look like rather there's this this dream that venus is actually inhabited or could be inhabited as a colony the same thing with mars the same thing with neptune and and so on and so it's this this sort of uh, you know the, this throwback notion of our planetary expansion or our, our um, stellar expansion beginning with our own solar system and that we would slowly colonize all of the planets Oh, yeah, the relentless faith in technology, right? Because in the story, I think they refer to, 
you know, Earth had settled Venus and Mars somewhere in the late 20th century, right. which, to the best of my knowledge, didn't happen. <laughs> I haven't received any memos on it yet. And uh, aside from that, yeah, I mean, the whole general setup, like you said, you could take this door and you could, could say, well, instead of Venus and Mars, it's X, X Y, and you know, some other antagonist going at it with the same plot line, and it would still hang together. And the only other thing I remember in the story is the at the very beginning, the, the people who are fighting the war, the soldiers, they call themselves rocketeers. Ah, uh, like, yes. That sounds like a very 1950s phrase, like almost like they're military cheerleaders or something. I'm a rocketeer. Wasn't there a movie called The Rocketeer? Oh, yeah, there was actually a star Timothy Dalton that was made by Disney. Basically, it was a solo rocket that you could strap to your back and it would be used as a as a military technology but wasn't it also sort of placed in the 1950s or was that a modern day it was in the context of a war but i can't remember if it was old enough that it would be world war one or if it was world war two it would fit with either one of them in terms of that sort of pulp fiction kind of vibe that the that the movie had Actually, not a bad film, although it's been years and years since I've seen it. I expected it to be hokey, and it had its had its moments, <laughs> but it was a better story than I expected. There's a scene where Unger is escaping from a planet, basically in a sing like like a little space pod of some sort that's basically kind of like a rocketeer, I would imagine. Well, so this story's called The War Veteran, Dan, but it's not really a war story in the traditional sense, although we get some references to war scenes. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, this is not what you would probably classify as military sci-fi, even though there's a whole genre of authors kind of devoted to that. It's not Starship it, Trooper. It's definitely not Starship Troopers, and I, I think we can all you know thank our lucky stars for that. <laughs> it's more of a Cold War intrigue kind of thing where we've got this, are we going to war, are we not going to war? And if we are, why are we going to war? And, and what do we do with all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, war is kind of just the, it's just kind of the backdrop for the main story. Exactly. So let's get ready to wrap this thing up, Dan, and let's talk about where War Veteran falls on our whoa, hmm, what the fuck scale. Start us off. Yeah, well, I really wanted to give this one a a good old whoa and and give it a Keanu, but you know, I think with this one, it's kind of hard because I had the whoa factor when the story shifted and you figure out that it's not a time travel story. And that's where I got the woe. But then they went into all this explanation at the end to kind of tidy things up and wrap it all up. And that kind of left me more with a, just a, Hmm. I mean, it's a good story and I really wanted to give it a woe, but it's more of a Hmm for me at the, at the very end. I like the plot. I like the intrigue. I like the planting an android to throw off the whole like confidence in the war effort thing. It's a it's a cool plot. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. It 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 falls kind of in between the the woe and the hum for me. And it doesn't have much of a what the fuck factor at all. No, no, not at all. I mean, I would if I had to pick a woe story. I mean, I know we didn't do the rating system back when we had the Asimov Dead Past story. For me, that was a woe because you get that that reveal at the end when everything changes, and then he just kind of lets it go, right? And you're not wondering, or it's it's actually up to you to wonder what comes next. Whereas you know Philip K. Dick in the story, he just kind of lays out 
and you know gives you that nice pretty package ending so there's really not much to wonder about when the story ends no you're right you know something like the asimov tale we are left to ponder the implications and the more that they unfold yeah you're right the more we're going whoa yeah i didn't think of that Ooh, hey that's kind of cool there's none of that here not a lot anyway yep yep so like i said so it's a combination uh, give it like you know one Keanu and a couple of Cotteries. There we go. <laughs> if we go back to that rating system. <laughs> so we've met a variety of aliens in the stories that we've been exploring so far. Uh, one of the things that we haven't really done much of is, is talk about aliens as monster forces. And so next we'll turn to John Campbell's 1938 novella that has been very influential in the sci-fi circles. It's called Who Goes There? It's first contact, but not in a way that turns out well. Exactly. See you next time, everybody. Everybody.